opportunity knocks and they're too busy complaining about the the noise at the front door to go open the door and let opportunity in. Uh, they're always complaining about their lack of instead of looking at the phenomenal opportunities that are around us every day. And they're there in abundance. All we need to do is start looking for them and then be willing to accept them. The Doberman Dan Show. The Doberman Dan Show. For renegade entrepreneurs. Get ready for the uncensored. Nothing held back. No BS reality of how business and life really work. Leave the sheeple to their lives of quiet desperation and get ready to experience an, an exhilarating life of unbridled freedom. freedom. Now prepare yourself because Doberman Dan's off the leash. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Doberman Dan Show for Renegade Entrepreneurs. Glad to have you back and excited to present to you part two of my interview with Stan Ballou. Master salesman, master sales trainer. Enjoy. But yeah, the 80 20 rule, excuse me, applies to almost anything in life. And we all have a tendency to waste, you know, 80% of our time on that that gives us 20% of our, of our results or our income or our happiness or our revenue or whatever it might be. So, you know, I encourage everyone to listening, take a long, hard look at. You're, you know, 80% of your so-called friends and associates and family members, are they president of your fan club or are they just looking for somebody to join in at, uh, with their daily pity party? You know, start to eliminate them from your life or at least, you know, quit investing time in them. You know, where do you spend your time? Where do you invest your time? Uh, is it, you know, with something you can learn and some knowledge or uh, gain some experience or... Uh, feel better about yourself, uh, or is it something that you know is just going to drag you down or waste your time? You know, I'm not. I'm not saying don't have playtime. My God, you know, we're we're just the opposite. When you know, you work hard, you learn to play hard. Uh, my mm-hmm. fifth year, uh, I was on a four-day work week where I took a three-day weekend every week just to recharge my freaking batteries because I was putting so much energy into the other four days, uh, I put the energy in, and I still do when I do work, and I don't work that often, but when I do work, uh, I'll put in as much energy in in a day, in a 10-hour day, than most people will put in in five days. But I get the results. So you work hard, you play hard, but yeah, that 80-20 rule, uh, can't say enough good about it. I'm going to just consider this because <laughs> the timing is just so weird on this. I'm just going to consider this that the, the universe just spoke through you and confirmed that I'm on the right track uh, with what I've been doing with that. <laughs> well, you know, there's an old saying that, that as pros, we often do not need to be taught as much as we need to be reminded. And I, I share with you, Dan, in, in much of the consulting and mentoring that I do, particularly with sales managers or business owners, invariably I hear something like, you know, wow, you know, that idea you, you just gave me was is so profound because, man, does that work. It worked great when we used to use it. Why did we get away from it? Why did we quit doing that? <laughs> so sometimes we just need to be reminded like reminded of the 80-20 rule, there's always a reason for everything happening. There's a reason you reached out for me after knowing about me for a long time, finally reached out to me. There's a reason why you asked me to do the podcast, and I agreed. Uh, if, if Hopefully, we're giving some benefit to your listeners. But as you said, wow, maybe this is a wake-up call for Doberman Dan. Maybe this is confirmation of some things that you've been mulling around and thinking about doing, and all of a sudden you're hearing uh, the the outside expert, so to speak, reconfirming what you already knew or at least thought you knew you should be doing. There's there's no doubt about that. I, I, I'm using a new saying a lot that I heard uh, Ron Legrand say at a seminar. I, I like it better than the old analogy I was using, and he said, you can't see the picture if you're in the frame. And, uh, 
You know, this is a perfect example of that. And and I've got, I want to back up to something else you were talking about, um, about referrals. And I've, unfortunately, I've got to turn the spotlight on myself and it's, (laughs) it's not a positive spotlight. You know, when you said that, I have given that information to other people. Every single business owner I think I know is not is either not doing it, period, or not doing a good job of it. And then I had to think, wait a minute, I'm pointing fingers at other people. This is what I'm thinking while you were talking about referrals, Stan. Like I'm pointing fingers at other people and, like, clients that I know are coming to mind, and I thought, wait a minute, i got to point the finger at myself. When I've spoken with either people who wanted to be potential clients or whatever, and we just weren't a good fit or the timing was bad, I couldn't work it into my schedule or whatever, that was the end of the conversation. And now I feel like a schmuck because I should have, at the very least, even if I did it haphazardly, I should have, at the very least, asked for a referral. And so I'm curious, how do you have a system for that or have you got any tips for that? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, as you said, even if you didn't do it well, if, if you if I created the worst possible question for you, which would probably be, you don't know anybody else that would need my copywriting skills, do you? <laughs> my God, if you ask a hundred people that stupid, dumb, negative question, how at least five of them would say, well, matter of fact, I probably do know somebody. So even if you do it badly, if you do it consistently, you'll get results. The key is you put together a script. It's just like making a sale. Although at the end of my little presentation, instead of asking you for the order, I'm going to ask you for a name. And then what happens in selling? You're going to give me an objection. I never give out names. Well, I want to see if this works, and then if it does, I'll give you a name. They have... Everything you sell in life has three, four, five basic built-in objections. You can be in the industry for 20 years. You're not going to hear anything new. So if you know what you're going to run up against and you prepare some great comebacks, you'll be better prepared than your prospect. Now, that's not to say you're going to sell everybody or you're going to get referrals from everybody, but the odds of success will go through the frickin' roof if you're better prepared. So, yeah, you put together a little script, and you say something like, you know, Dan, every uh, and let me try to uh, uh, put it in, in your wording and in your world, copywriting. You know, uh, every business owner I chat with is nice enough to share two or three quick names with me of other owners or managers that could use my services. Now, what I just said is that everyone I chat with is nice enough to give me two or three names. I'm implying that if you don't give me two or three names, you're not very nice. (laughs) So everyone I chat with, every business owner I chat with is nice enough to share two or three quick names with me of other owners or managers that could benefit from uh, my copywriting services. Before you give me those names, now, boy, is that assumptive or what? Uh I I didn't say before I ask you if you can think of anybody. Before you give me those names, allow me to mention I'll simply give them a courtesy call, introduce myself, and see if they'd like to uh, have access to my website. Now, that's important because a lot of people are reluctant to give names because they honestly don't know what's going to happen after they give you the name. Are, are you going to like call them and beat them up and, and make, uh, make me look like a schmuck because uh, I gave you their name? Uh, you know... They don't know. So just eliminate the fear of the unknown by letting them know. Before you get into the names, allow me to mention that I simply give them a courtesy call, introduce myself, and see if they would like to have access to my website. Now, at this point, instead of asking you, who do you know, and I know the average business owner or manager has a mental roller decks of at least 200 names, and that might be a little tough, So I'm going to start giving you little categories to kind of uh, uh, help you out here a little bit by saying this might be a 
a friend, a neighbor, uh, maybe somebody that you belong to a professional organization with? Um, who's the first person that comes to mind? Now, notice I didn't necessarily say what's the first name you can think of because I've eliminated think out of my vocabulary. And I didn't ask for a name. I, I asked for a person. Was, who's the first person that comes to mind? Because I want them to have a mental image of this person, not just their name. Because then they give me, well, probably Bob over at ABC. Okay. How about your best friend? Who would that be? Now, before I, I didn't ask any information yet, I simply asked. I kept going for more names. How about your best friend? Man, I know he's okay. How about your worst enemy? <laughs> Stick me on him. <laughs> um, you know, who do you know that's got so much money they they have to check their billfold as baggage when they fly a commercial? <laughs> Speaking of flying, who do you know that owns their own plane? Who do you know that's expanding? Who do you know that just had an acquisition or a merger? Um, yeah, I just keep going. I've got a list of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I've got more ways to ask you for names than you have ways to say I can't think of anybody. Now, after I finally have two, three, four, five, six names, here's where the magic starts, Dan. Because I say, you know, you were nice enough to give me those four names, Bob, Mary, Joe, and Peter. Uh, if you were me, uh, which one would you call first? Oh, I'd call Peter. How come? Oh, Peter, hell, he's a mooch. You tell him a good story, he'll buy anything. Okay. <laughs> call second. It's amazing. Getting the names is like pulling teeth. But once you have the names, it's amazing what they will tell you about their so-called friends, neighbors, and relatives, and business associates. They will literally tell you, in most cases, how to sell them. You can ask them if they have a nickname, if they have a hobby or area of interest. Well, yeah, I know he's putting, uh, he's re, uh, uh, rebuilding an 86 Corvette. Okay. So let's say I call Bob. Hey, Bob, my name is Stan. Yeah, I do copywriting and a mutual acquaintance of ours. Joe's blow uh, suggested I give you a call. I don't need any goddamn copywriting. Take me off your list before I fly out there and bomb your office. Oh, I understand. <laughs> By the way, I, I hear you're uh, um, rebuilding an 86 vet. Well, yeah, I am. Tell me about it. Well, guess what? He was getting ready to blow me off the phone. Now for the next minute, minute and a half, he's going to tell me all about his 86 Corvette. And if I've done any research on the Internet ahead of time, I can talk to him a little bit about the local vet club if he's a member. I can talk about the Corvette uh, Museum up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, if he's ever been there. Uh, I can talk about the new model coming out next year that's got over 600 horsepower. Has he seen that yet? I mean, whatever it is, I, I can. Now we're a couple of buddies talking about vets. You follow me? You know, and I earn the right great. to talk with him because I'm building some rapport. And and what I've discovered is a lot of people who have passions like that, they can't get anybody to listen. To. There's very few people that will listen to them about it and talk to them about it. And when you start talking about it, you've just won an almost instant friend. Yep, yep. And, you know, there's so much you can learn. Like, I would always ask for a hobby or area of interest. If I got, let's say, uh, oh, he's a stamp collector. Well, do I know basically whether he's conservative or aggressive? Probably conservative. Mm -hmm. If the guy says, oh, he loves the whitewater raft or he loves the hot air balloon, well, I know he's a risk taker and he's got deep pockets. <laughs> <laughs> All good things to know. Yeah, I mean, this This is things you can't get off of a lead card, per se, or a list. That's why, you know, getting referrals, becoming a master at getting referrals. I, I When I used to do seminars, and I still do consulting with people that sell investments, um, because that's where I cut my teeth, so to speak, you know, I asked them, I said, you know, out of all the people you talk to every day, uh, do you believe that every one of them knows at least one person with lots of money? Well, yeah. Well, great. When are you going to start asking them? <laughs> yeah. 
I have a question I've been dying to ask you, which I All think right. I think you're going to enjoy answering, and I know everybody's going to enjoy hearing about. And you probably get asked this a lot, but what the heck? I'll ask it anyway. I would love to hear a story about your biggest sale ever. Everything, like how you how you found the prospect, how you contacted them, what the, the what you sold them, the amount of the sale, if you're comfortable saying that, everything. Wow. Um, interesting. We were talking before we started the interview about a interview that I did with Michael Senoff from Hard to Find Seminars. I'll plug him. Um, he's got just hundreds of great interviews, and I, I mean some of the biggest names in the world. Um, and I've got a two-part uh, interview with him that uh, has gone on, I believe, to be the most popular interview on his site ever. And in that, he actually grilled me about my 10 biggest sales that I'd ever made. And that was years ago, and I'm trying to think back now. Uh, probably one of the biggest sales I made was when I was working with my mentor, uh, and I actually did go to work for him. Uh, he owned some uh, warehouse showrooms, uh, furniture stores up in Michigan, um, and I worked my way up from a gopher, you know, go for this, go for that, to uh, sales manager, to general manager, to executive vice president running his whole corporation, and he moved down to Miami uh, to supposedly retire. Uh, well, he didn't. Uh, he got bored, and he opened up a couple furniture stores. Unlike in Flint, Michigan, where we could own the media, at the time there was like, this is before cable, three uh, TV stations, eight radio stations, and two newspapers, we could own the media, um, even to the point of doing like live broadcast from the furniture stores on Saturday and Sunday every 30 minutes with a different radio station. Um, but anyhow, make a long story short, he moved to Miami, opened up a couple furniture stores. He's, he called me one day. He said, big guy, you got to come down here. He used to call me big guy. He said, big guy, you got to come down here and help me out. I said, what's the matter, Jerry? He said, well, i got these two stores. I'm getting eat alive. Uh, I can't get any decent media buys. Uh, you come down here and evaluate the situation Tell me whether or not we need to open three, four, or five more stores to be more competitive, or we should do a GOB, going out of business. So I went down there, and uh, within two weeks, I had evaluated that um, even by opening four or five stores, we couldn't be that competitive uh, in that marketplace for a variety of reasons. So we did a giant GOB uh, in both stores. Uh, that's a great story in itself because basically with a GOB, you can only do a 30-day license, um, and then you have to close. Uh, you've got 30 days to run your sale. Well, I figured out a loophole where we could do one store uh, for 90 days and then do the second store for another 30 days, so we stretched our GOB into four months. But anyhow, <laughs> he had two giant buildings. Um, one of them was a 120,000-square-foot building on the Palmetto Expressway, which is a major highway uh, in uh, Miami, Miami, and um, uh, we were looking to lease it or sell it. Uh, I did a lot of research and uh, found a company called Tasco, T-A-S-C-O. They made binoculars, and they were over in uh, the, one of the worst parts of town um, where there had been a lot of riots and a lot of uh, damage. They were basically landlocked, so they couldn't expand. And when I went over there, I saw their logo everywhere. Their logo was on the windows, on the door, had a flag, uh, had a sign outside. Oh, their logo was on the in the parking lot. Uh, I knew this guy must have a huge ego. So make a long story short, um, we started negotiating didn't get anywhere with his underlings, his real estate professionals and his lawyers or whatever. Finally, I said, look, it, I need to meet with the owner. I need to have 10 minutes. I promise to walk out at the end of 10 minutes, and I won't say one word. Well, needless to say, the owner 
was fascinated what the heck I was going to do in 10 minutes without saying anything. So he granted me the interview. I walked into his office. I had a tripod. I had taken an aerial photograph of the building we wanted to sell him, and it had a big pylon, if you can imagine, uh, part of the end of the building went like 80 feet in the air, and it was 40 feet wide. You, you can't build them anymore because of the spinach, uh and zoning down there, but grandfathered in, and this big pylon was there, so I had superimposed their logo on the building. I had this giant blow-up. It was about, uh, I don't know, three feet by five feet uh, photograph in color with his logo on it, and I had it covered with purple velvet, which I found out was his favorite color by talking to his secretary. So I walked in. I just shook his hand, didn't say anything. I set my little tripod with the uh, purple uh, drape over it, velvet drape. I put down my little timer. I started it. I clicked it. I laid it on his desk, and I just sat there. He looked at me. He looked at the the tripod, looked at the clock, looked back at me, looked at the tripod, looked at the clock. This lasted for about a minute, and finally he says, okay, I can't stand it anymore. What the hell's under the, the blue velvet? Uh, purple velvet. <laughs> so I walked over and I slowly removed as sexually as I could this blue velvet and there was this massive aerial photograph of our building with his logo on it. And he just looked at it, he looked at me, looked back at that, looked at me, he said, Oh, you're good. <laughs> you're you're freaking good. He said, um, but he said, uh I took out my little piece of paper and I said, I wrote down how much too much. He said, well, it's like 120,000. He said, we only, he said, we only need 80. So I wrote down, would you take it if it were only 80? Well, he said, yeah, but what happens to the other 40? I wrote down, I've already got it leased out. He looked at me again and said, oh, you're good. He said, are you going to talk or what? And I wrote down, only if you give me permission, because I promised to be quiet for 10 minutes. He says, all right, enough of this bullshit. What's the deal with the 40 and the 80? And we started negotiating. Bottom line was, his ego was so big that he would not allow us to lease out the other 40. He had to have the whole building. So I was able to sell him the whole building and agree to help him lease the other 40,000 on a short-term basis so he would have it to expand into in one or two years. That was probably my biggest sale. Wow. Talk about theater. That's what that's what Gary Howard used to call it. Showing up uh-huh. with theater. That, that's that's a perfect example of showing up with theater. There was no uh-huh. way uh, I mean first of all the dude had to book an appointment with you because that was so unusual a guy saying yep. he's not going to speak for 10 minutes and 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 then the way you presented the building that's that's some great theater well thank you yeah. i appreciate it um it, it was interesting because my um we we sold the other building to american savings and loan and that's another whole story but we were driving back across the causeway to miami beach where uh my mentor had his mansion and we were driving there in a Stutz Blackhawk. If you're not familiar with them, they're few and far between, very rare. And he looked over at me. He said, do you understand what you just did? I said, I believe I did, but tell me. He said, when you know how to sell, it makes no difference if you're selling pencils on the street corner or you're selling the whole friggin' street corner. He said, you have mastered your craft. Congratulations. Wow. And that particular day... I had just gone through a marathon negotiating session. If you can imagine a long oak conference table where I was on one end. Here's a, here's a little schmuck that never finished high school. And on the other end was the 76 or whatever old uh, matriarch of American Savings and Loan. On the left side of the table was eight real estate specialists 
and on the other side of the table was eight attorneys, all employed by American Savings and Loan. And I was going up against all 17 of those and out-negotiated everyone. Wow. Talk about you against the world. (laughs) And it was interesting because Jerry did not, my mentor, did not have the patience to negotiate. He'd blow his stack in a heartbeat. But I did get him to sit in the back of the room and kind of guide me with just some eye movements and hand motions. We basically knew how we were going to present it and how the theater, if you will, was going to proceed. And basically what I did there uh, is I had built in a whole bunch of stipulations that I knew there was no way in hell they would ever approve. But they were, they were throwaways to us. I had them worded in such a way that they sounded important, but they weren't. So the bottom line is I let all of the real estate people and all of the attorneys uh, puff their feathers. I made them all look good in front of the matriarch, like they were just beating the hell out of me. They were just saying no and just eliminating every stipulation to the point where we finally got down to the COL, the cost of living. And I just picked up everything. I put it together. I started to open my briefcase and throw the stuff in there. And I said, well, hell, you, you know, you said no to everything else. There's no way you're going to give us a freaking cost of living. And I started to walk out. And they said, well, well no, 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 wait, no, wait, wait. We understand cost of living is like, you know, uh, 5 to 8%, which it was back there. Uh, you know, we're, we're willing to do, to, to do something here. I mean, you know, it's only fair. We understand. So I reluctantly drug myself back to the table and said, okay, what the hell are you willing to give me? You know, what kind of carrot are you going to throw me? What kind of bone are you going to give me? Probably won't have any meat on it, but throw me something. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do the, uh, you know, we'll do 3%. So we negotiated a little bit more. We agreed on the 3%. Bottom line was about a month and a half later, their lead attorney called me and said, uh, Mr. Blue, uh, uh, is so-and-so with the bank? I said, yes, yes, yes. I was expecting your call. He said, you were expecting my call? He said, well, I said, yeah. He said, well, there, there's this, uh, on page 37, uh, paragraph 2B, there's the, the wording, it, it, you know, it, about the cost of living. It could possibly be construed that that's... Um, compounded yearly, and we just need to straighten that wording out. I said, well, first of all, we've already cashed your check. We have a signed agreement, and that wording is there for a reason. Indeed, (laughs) it is compounded. Six attorneys and six real estate agents couldn't figure out compounded cost of living until after the fact. Multiply 3% by 100, you get 103. Multiply 103% by 3%, guess what you get? (laughs) Jerry used to call me every year for 10 straight years on the anniversary of that lease saying, thank you so much. (laughs) That's ingenious. They finally had had to buy him out and bought the building after 10 years because they couldn't afford... uh, the cost of living increases anymore. <laughs> hey, would you, in the negotiation process that you just described, would you would you explain the concept of giveaways or, or did you did you voice that as giveaways or throwaways? Yeah, either one. I mean, they were just so they were just stipulations that were bizarre. We knew that you know. I mean, it was like granting them so many parking places, and we needed to reserve the rest. Uh, for some cockamamie thing, and no, we need all the parking places. Oh my God, there's more income out the window. Okay, what else? You know, just they were just so bizarre that we, you know, we knew they would voice their their concerns and, and wouldn't want to do it. And we, we just so I let them win like twelve, fifteen times straight <laughs> until they, they they looked so good that you know the cost of living was just like supposedly uh, an afterthought, but that was the most important thing that I needed to negotiate uh, in the whole meeting. 
That's so smart. I, you know, I've discovered something about attorneys that they have got – I'm stero, stereotyping now. This isn't all of them, but they have got to kill something. They're deal killers, and they've, you've got to give them something. And so by putting the giveaways in there, stuff you really didn't care about at all, but you put them in there anyway so that the attorneys could kill them, and you can, oh, I can't believe you're taking away this parking, you know, uh, yeah. stipulation yeah. we had. And, uh, all right, well, you're just beating the hell out of me, but I'll give that to you. And then you give them other stuff and give them that. And they feel like they, that's uh, their obligation. And that's Well, they weren't, they weren't taught negotiating in lawyer school, okay? Mm-hmm. They weren't. You know, and, and, you know, I was blessed in the fact that we had some very sharp attorneys for all the years, and I worked for this my mentor four different times over six years. Um, that's the only way you can get a raise or a promotion is quit. And he used to call him the flute player. It was like, you know, he played the flute for the cobra. Um, he'd come and romance you, and, uh, you know, that's the only way you can get a raise or a promotion. But anyhow, in the, the four different times I worked for him, we had some phenomenal attorneys, but only because uh, I learned from Jerry how to push them, and they'd start saying, well, you can't do this. Look, I'm not paying you to tell me we can't do it. We know we can't do it. I'm paying you to tell me how we can do it. Let's figure out a way. Where's the loophole? You know, there's always a faster, cheaper, better way. Now, maybe it doesn't make sense to do it, but we would always find a better, faster, cheaper way. We would always find a loophole. No matter how good the attorney was that wrote the law or whatever, or wrote the contract, there's always a better attorney that can figure out how to break it or work around it. Mm-hmm. Stan, you, I know you do coaching and mentoring now. Is that is that what you're focused on now, or what else what else are you doing? Well, I'm blessed in the fact that my uh, some of my products are, are still sold on the internet in uh, 60 countries around the world, and that's another whole long story. Uh, about six years ago, I decided I didn't want to travel anymore, and uh, I didn't want to go on the road, but I, I liked the income, so I said, well, let me take the the formula an hour a day uh, for five years, become a world expert. What if I did five hours a day for a year? Could I become a world expert? Well, I, I did that, and I have to tell you, I did not become a world expert in the Internet because it's evolving almost monthly, if sometimes not daily. Uh, oh, yeah. But I, I was able to figure out, you know, what's a keyword, what's a meta tag, uh, how do you promote the website? How do you get press releases? How do you, you know, use social media? And I went from selling my products in a grand total of five countries now to, to over 60 countries. So uh, I still invest a little time, not as much as I should, um, staying, you know, keeping my name out there, whether it's uh, part of a discussion group or it's posting an article or doing a webinar or whatever it may be, keeping my sites current. Uh, I'm, I'm sending a positive tweet every day to a whole bunch of people, and that keeps growing. Um, but my primary mo- focus is mentoring and coaching over the phone because I can sit here in my robe, drink my coffee, and uh, get paid very well for the knowledge that I've accumulated an hour a day for almost 37 years over the phone to people. And uh, it runs the gamut. I mean, it just, I have other coaches that I mentor, um, owners of, of companies that sell oil and gas investments, uh, commercial, <clears throat> commercial debt recovery, a gentleman over in England that uh, does SEO, search engine optimization for websites all over Europe. Um, it, it just, it runs the gamut. But, um, you know, I get a tremendous amount of joy uh, coaching and mentoring people. And then all goes back to uh, some one other thing that my mentor taught me. Um, when he agreed to be my mentor, he said, I-, I need to know what your purpose in life is. And I said, huh? He said, exactly. He said, if you go downtown to any city and stop 
100 people on the street corner and say, excuse me, I'm doing a survey. What's your purpose in life? He said 95% of them will go, huh? Because they're too busy <laughs> surviving from paycheck to paycheck. He said, know what the hell your purpose here. Why did you know your creator put you on this earth? So I went home that weekend, and I played around with a bunch of different variations. And I was very fortunate to come up with a uh, purpose that I have not had to change one word for 37 years, and it's simply this, to become the best I can become and help other people get more out of their lives. And everything I do, Dan, in life has to meet that purpose, or why am I doing it? Is it going to help me become the best I can become and help other people get more out of their lives? Well, yeah, great, then let's let's try it. If not, Mm -hmm. then why am I considering it? Let's move on. That's a great, to use a copywriting term, that's a great USP, unique selling proposition, but I don't even know if that description does it justice. I think it's probably better to say that's a better life's purpose. That's that's a great life's purpose. Yeah, UPN, now you're quoting Jay Abraham. Yes. You know, I got such a mishmash of various people I've learned from (laughs) that get scrambled in my brain. Um, and it gets spit out at various times, a lot of times I don't know who to attribute it to. All I know is, um, you know, I'm just standing on the shoulders of the greats. I can't claim to have any great uh, intelligence of my own, but I was smart enough to know to absorb the intelligence and the wisdom of others. Well, you and me both. I I tell people I... You know, I've had three original ideas since 1977, and I'm not sure about two of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, Mil- Milton Berle, a great old-school comedian, used to say if you uh, use another comedian's joke, you're a frickin' thief. If you use all of their material, you're just doing research. And that's all <laughs> I've been doing an hour a day for 37 years is just taking from the best uh, can I, may I share a quick Jay Abraham story with you? Yeah. You may have already heard it. Uh, talk about the power of listening and showing an interest in the other person. Jay tells a story about flying into Australia to do a seminar, and uh, he was uh, wanted to relax a few minutes after he checked in before he uh, hit the hay, and so he went to the concierge lounge to have a quick drink. And he said, I noticed this, this very nicely dressed gentleman sitting over uh, on a table by the window, and I got my drink, and I, I walked over, and I said, Hi, my name is Jay Abraham. Uh, I'm here from the States to do a seminar. May I join you? And the gentleman said, Sure. And Jay said, Tell me a little bit about what you do. He said, Well, I do birth control for third uh, world countries. He said, Well, I've never heard of such a thing. He said, How does that work? Tell me more. Well, I, I meet with kings, queens, heads of states, parliaments, and we work with them to educate there. And he said, this conversation went on for 45 minutes. And I kept asking him to tell me more. How does that work? What, uh, what kind of objections do you run into? Who does the funding for this? Uh, what countries have you been to? And he said, at the end of 45 minutes, he said, I looked at my watch, and he said, I politely excused myself because I needed to get some sleep. And the guy stood up, and he says, Jay, I have to tell you, I've met kings and queens and heads of states. He said, I have never, ever been privileged to talk with somebody as interesting as you in my entire life. And as Jay walked out, he said, you know, all I told him was, my name is Jay Abraham. I just flew in from the states. I'm here to do a seminar. That's all I told him. I just asked him about him for 45 minutes, and the guy thought I was the greatest conversationalist he'd ever met. Wow. That's the power of listening and showing a sincere interest in the other person. That That is a powerful demonstration. Um, most people seem to get it turned around. They feel like they to, to be interesting, they need to run their mouth a lot. Yeah. No, to be interested, uh, interesting, you have to be interested. Good point. And I have no idea who I stole that from. (laughs) As you know, 
as you know in the business, when we hear something, we say, as Zig Ziglar would say, and about a week later we say, as somebody once said, and then about a month later we say, as I've always said, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference where you get it from, folks. Uh, as Dan uh, said, all the masters, uh, you know, a, a good friend of mine, Tony, Tony Robbins, says something profound, success leaves clues. All the greats that have walked before you and have done whatever it is you want to do in life have left their footprints. They've left their roadmap. They've left the information, or the information is still out there. What's, how, do, how is their website designed? Who do they market it to? What are their price points? What's their copy look like? Do they use long form or short form? You know, what's their headlines? What's their subtitles? What's their main copy? Do they tell a story? Is there a call for action? I mean, you can learn from each of these greats that, that is out there that has either already done it or is still doing it to this day, and then just emulate. You know, just emulate. That's all you've got to do. That's right. You don't have to be original or a creative genius at all. No, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel's already been invented. All you have to do is find out how to grease it a little better or polish the, the spokes so it looks better or, you know, uh, treat the, the rubber so it runs better. Whatever, you know, you don't have to reinvent it. Just do it faster, cheaper, or better. Stan, I want to tell people about your website. Um, is is the website stanbaloo.com that's the best way for people to get information about yeah you? that's the best way it's www.stanbaloo.com it's all one word s-t-a-n-b-i-l-l-u-e stanbaloo.com I encourage people to visit sign up for my free newsletter it comes out on the first of each month it's got a sales tip um, uh, a motivational tip. It's got something of value, a little bit of humor, a little bit about my personal life. Also, every Monday, when you're on that list, you'll get a marketing tip. Every Monday comes out at 9.50 in the morning. I like clockwork. You'll get a couple blatant promotions, um, you know, for others to buy some of my products or services, but don't worry about that. Just sign up for the free newsletter and, uh, there's one page that says free stuff. <clears throat> Go on that because I probably give away more free stuff than any other trainer out there. So don't, you know, whine at me about, you know, you're busted and disgusted and, you know, can't afford anything. That's no problem. I've got lots of free stuff to get you started. You know, can I address a, a, a something that really bothers me <laughs> um, of course people who sign up for an email list you know with somebody like you who gives away free stuff that has a, a lot of value and then they want to bitch because they get the occasional sales pitch for something um, I don't understand that mindset in fact the, the ones who write me about that I just I tell I either unsubscribe them or I tell them just to unsubscribe. Here's what I don't understand. Even if I don't know whatever the reason is, they're not interested in the product. They, they you know, they're broke. They're about to be evicted from the house. They don't have the money to buy the product. I don't care. Just observing the process that you use to offer products is a highly valuable education within itself so you know get yeah. on Stan's list and if, if for whatever reason something that he offers occasionally is just you know not for you you know don't bitch because you're getting a sales pitch study that thing it's a multi-million dollar lesson and that's a real pet peeve of mine so I guess I just yeah let me, let me give you an example uh, 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 Dan Kennedy who's a friend of mine um, I probably get an average, I would guess, probably two emails a day from their organization. I haven't bought anything from Dan for years, but I, I stay on their email list because I read the copy. I learn yeah. something from, 
how they, you know, worded something. What's their headline? What's, you know, what kind of story are they telling? You know, what's their offer? What's their call to action? How do they build in an answer to the main objection in their copy before they ever get to the call for action? You know, it's, what's their upsell or what's their downsell or their cross-sell or whatever? You know, so, yeah, yeah I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I'm, I probably receive, well, I'm on over 300 email lists. So I get way over 100 a day. Now, most of them I don't necessarily read from start to finish, but I scan each one of them. Is there a little aha? We call them aha moments, little jewel. Is there something I can learn from this email? I'm not interested in whatever they're selling, but I'm interested in how they're selling it. How do they word it? How do, you know, what type style do they use? All of that good stuff. I'm always looking. Do they include a link to a video? Do they embed a video? Uh, do they occasionally use an audio snippet? Do they use testimonials? Uh, you know, do they, are they going for an upsell or, or a cross sell? I'm just all the time studying these. So, yeah, I encourage everybody, get on as many freaking e- email lists as you can. And don't bitch about it. I mean, learn from it. Be thankful that they're sending you these free lessons in marketing, for God's sakes. That's the way I always looked at it. Um, I don't understand the mindset of people who, uh, first of all, they get a bunch of great free stuff, and then they want to bitch because they get an occasional uh, sale. Mm -hmm. I just view it as, hey, man, this is just more free education for me. Yeah, and it may not be for you. I mean, it's like the old thing in selling. Some will, some won't. Who cares who's next? Uh, you know, I, you can't please everybody. I, you don't try. Uh, here's what I, I mean. Halbert was great at that. I mean, he didn't care who he honked off. Uh, you know, you, you were buying his personality. Dan Kennedy is much the same way. Uh, you know, probably pissed off a whole lot more people than he's made happy through the years, but he doesn't care. It's a, He's looking for that 5% that will recognize what he's got and embrace it and not worry about the other 95%, for God's sakes. That's right. Absolutely. Well, I I really appreciate your time today, Stan. you got a lot more you could teach us, so everybody should, should go to stanbelue.com, S-T-A-N-B-I-L-L-U-E.com and sign up on his list, and I think you should get all his stuff. And, uh, well, you know I appreciate what? I, that. I hope you'll come back. Well, you know, as a follow-up, Dan, what we might do is if all the people that are listening uh, to this, not only uh, today but in the months to come, if you'll just email Dan with the, the, one, the biggest challenge that you have, the biggest objection you face, uh, which, which if you could ask Stan one question, what would it be? And let Dan and I sort through these questions, and we could do a, a nice little uh, podcast just on answering the questions from the listeners. Um, you know, it's it's uh, uh, yeah, we could do the the call in routine, but that's normally more hassle than what it's worth. It'd be easier just for us to uh, name off the question or concern and come up with an answer. And between the two of us, and again, I Dan, I would invite you to tailgate in. Um, any, um, um, you know, anytime we're answering a question or you want to add something, your, your, your knowledge is, is phenomenal. I, I sent to you in one of your emails after I read some of your copy that I'd, I'd been to two county fairs and a hog calling contest and, and it takes a lot to impress me and I love your copywriting. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah, I got a kick out of that email. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing is I, I try to teach. I've always been known as a trainer that, that uses a lot of humor. And uh, you'll notice that in, in my series, 90 Telemarketing Skills, I've got a stuffed dog by the name of Old Blue. And in 90 different sessions, we did everything but blow that sucker up. Uh, to, just to have a little fun in each one of the sessions. So, um, you know, and that brings me, I guess, to a, another point is I'm often asked by by uh, managers and, and owners, you know, what makes a great salesperson? What do I look for? I mean, forget the personality test and the aptitude test and the resumes. I mean, what, what am I looking for? And I just say look for uh, people that have at least two out of the three W's. 
weird, warped, or wacko. And the more weird, <laughs> warped, and wacko they are, the more successful they will be at selling. And that's another way of saying personality. You know, you, I, can take, I can take a $5 an hour burger flipper and teach him how to read a script. I can't necessarily teach him how to have a personality. It, you've got to have a personality. Make it enjoyable. Make it interesting. Make it fun, if you will. Work in a little bit of humor. That's true. And, and the the three W people are way more fun to work with. At least I find I relate to them much better. Oh, yeah. We've done countless studies. You know, would you rather talk to somebody who just educates you about a product uh, and is boring, or would you rather talk to somebody who – you know, is a little bit off the charts, uh, too many dimes in the nickel slot, you know, doesn't have both oars in the water, uh, makes it makes it fun, makes it interesting. You know, it always over 90% say, give me the one that's fun, give me the one that's interesting. You know, bring a little sunshine into people's day. You know, and particularly, again, selling on the phone for those of you that do that. And again, if you talk on the phone at all, even once a day, you're selling every time two people talk, somebody's getting sold. So use learn to use the English language properly. Work on your diction, <clears throat> enunciation, pronunciation. Work on that emotion. Uh, work on that passion, that believability, that credibility, that entertainment. It's it's all a mix that has to be in that presentation. And keep you know, there's an old saying: people buy you. And whatever you represent goes with the sale. Start selling yourself. And the way to do that is to be interesting and entertaining and not just educate them. Good point. Um, ben Settle likes to call it infotainment. Yep, 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 yep. Well, yep. Stan, this has been a great call. I've personally pulled out a lot of gold nuggets that are going to be a huge help to me and uh, and make me a lot more money. So thank you. My pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll get some good feedback from a lot of your listeners. Uh, uh, again, if you keep throwing it out there, uh, not everyone's going to be ready, willing, and able to accept changes, but there's undoubtedly uh, a couple, maybe a couple dozen, maybe even a couple of hundred that, Something we said in the last two hours has lit a fire or maybe at least uh, fanned some smoldering coals and they take it and run with it and make something great happen in their life. And if we've done that, um, you know, there's there's an old saying, those who help, those who, who work at becoming the best they can become and help other people become the best they can become, are doing the greatest job in the world because they're completing God's work. I truly believe that, and that's my uh, hope and goal with this call. So, I, again, it's been awesome, and thanks again, Stan. I appreciate it. My pleasure, and I wish everybody a fantastic future. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Doberman Dan Show for Renegade Entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And also make sure to head over to DobermanDan.com and subscribe to all the free tools, tactics, and secrets to help build your business quickly so you can experience the Renegade Entrepreneur lifestyle. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes where our guests reveal their best secrets for financial independence and living a completely free lifestyle.